0: All right, Carrie, would you pray for our time together?
1: Yes. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you again for this day. God, I thank you for life. I thank you for life and abundance, God. I thank you that you chose, Father, to call us to yourself, to deliver us from our past, to set us on a sure foundation, God. I thank you for freedom, God. I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country, God. And, Father, I lift up those in this country, Father, and in other countries, God. That are being persecuted today for their faith, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would lift their eyes into you, that they would be encouraged, Father, and that your word would continue to go forth, Father, in Jesus' name.
0: Kindness, Father. And we know that your love endures forever. So, Father, we ask even now, Lord, as we are gathering together, Lord, to hear from you, to open up your word, Father, God, that you, Holy Spirit, would search us. Father, that you would reveal any wicked way within us. And that you would lead us, Father. To repentance, that we may be, be revived, Lord, that we may be refreshed and renewed, and that You would give us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for Your name's sake. We pray for those, God, who who don't who don't know You, Father, that. Today would be the day of salvation, Father. God, that you would open up their deaf ears and their eyes, God, that they may see. And know that you are God and God alone. So come, Father, have your way among us and in us and through us. So ultimately, God, we will go forth declaring the goodness of our God the gospel of Jesus Christ, that many would come to the saving knowledge of you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well, good morning. The third R for this year, Release the Act of Setting Free or Letting Go. So here are some quotes I've been sharing with you since January. The first one, Getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward the second one decisions sometimes prove to be the hardest to make especially when it's a choice between where you should be and where you really want to be third one let your life let God have your life he could do more with it than you can it hurts to let go but sometimes it hurts more to hold on Let go of the past so that God can open the door to your future. When you finally let go, something better comes along. And then finally, to heal your wound, you need to stop touching it. Release. The act of setting free or letting go the three R's I've been trying to encourage us this year, repent, resolve, and release. In hopes that we would mature, that again, by the end of this year, we can look back And we can see some progression, because that's the Christian life, is maturing. It's maturing. It's not staying bound. It's not staying trapped. It's not remaining enslaved. But there's freedom that comes from those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So let's look at some scriptures that help us to gain this understanding Of what it is to release so proverbs 4 verse 25 through 27 look straight ahead fix your eyes on what lies before you mark out a straight path for your feet stay on the safe path don't get sidetracked keep your feet from following evil to release the act of setting free or letting go it's a whole new way of living you all as a Christian, we recognize, and hopefully we recognize by now, that this new life is not done in our own strength. It is only done through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you only receive the Holy Spirit once you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just nothing but religious works. Exhausting yourself, trying to be good. But when you truly understand who Christ is, when you truly come to that place of surrender and then fully receiving the Holy Spirit, then you understand what it means to release, to let go. Some relationships, some things, some, some stuff, like things have just got to go because the more you hold on to it, the more they deter you from who you truly are and have been called to be. You see, God has planned you. God has purposed you. You're not a you're not an accident. No, you were. And I keep encouraging us: you were meant for today. You were meant for this generation. As long as you have breath in your body, you're not to be living it in a selfish way, for me, myself, and I. No, no, you're 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 meant far for something far more greater than just your temporal needs. You were purposed for eternity. God, the Bible says that God has prepared good works for you to do. He's the one that formed you. He's the one that fashioned you. He's the one that brought you forth from your mother's womb. And he knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, there's good news each and every single day when you're in Christ. Because it's, it's not, it's not, your life is not based on your circumstances. No, your life is based on truth. There's value that you understand that there is you're, you're, you're of worth. And you just don't freely just give yourself to anyone or to anything to try to feel valued. Because you already know that you're valued above all things. Because God has been pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. You're no longer stuck on the temporalness of this life. No, your eyes are now lifted up. And though we are behind enemy lines, we live not burdened. No, we have been a liberated people. And in this freedom that we have found in Christ, it prompts us as the Spirit leads us to go forth behind enemy lines, announcing the truth to others who are held captive. So this is the good news, you all. God is pleased to draw us to Himself, to lead us to repentance, to fill us with this Holy Spirit, that then we resolve, we make up our mind to move forward, not in and of our own strength, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as we are moving forward, things are being let go. This is release, you all. There's things in your life that, has held, that have held you back from what God has called you to. And we've got to get to a place of maturity where we are letting them go. That we are totally surrendering everything to the Lord. And so listen again to Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. Look straight ahead. Because again, last week, and, and we've been talking, but last week I really focused on it. It's the application of the Word of God. Do you know what it means? to apply the Word of God? Are you discipled in that understanding that you're just not a hearer, but that the Word of God is active in your life? So what does it mean to release for a Christian? Well, keep your eyes focused ahead. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following Evil And so listen to Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Here's something else. Get rid of (laughs) all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. this is how a Christian is to be living. These these aren't just words to hear. No, these are words to apply. So how are you doing? Bitterness, with rage, with anger, with harsh words, with slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You know, the importance of, 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 of this truth is, is not to keep you oppressed, but to liberate you. When I see these things active in my life, it's not for me to beat myself up and pull away from God and pull away from the church. No, that's when I need to run to God. That's when I need to get into fellowship so that I can have accountability. So that there's growth in my life that I can seek prayer, that I can seek forgiveness, that I can be a transparent with what's going on in my life. Because what you face doesn't have to continue to define you. God is more concerned with your heart, as we were talking about on Friday night, than changing your circumstances. Your circumstances will eventually change if your heart is transformed. And that is the key to to the freedom that is found in Christ. And so when the Bible tells you, get rid of, it means it. Like you can live a life of freedom from bitterness, from rage, from anger, from harsh words, from slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And then it says, instead... Be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And I've encouraged us, you give what you've received, and so that's why it's vital that you know your God, that you know Christ, that you understand what it means to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that you understand when the Bible says that as a Christian, you're to consider others, think of others before you think of yourself. That's how you're maturing. So when you see selfishness, when you see that these desires are ruling you, that's when you realize, okay, wait a minute. That is rebellion. That's that old nature. And so you have to remind yourself, I can choose to move in that nature, but why would I? Because I'm in agreement with the Lord. And the word of God says that I have nailed that Nature, that old man, that old woman, to his cross. You see, do you understand what it means to be in Christ? Because when you have this knowledge, you're not going to settle just for the scraps that are on the ground. Oh no. There's so much more to your Christian faith than just showing up to church. It is is who you are. It is everything about you now. And so there is a way in which you are called to live, but we have to understand that the world is not going to promote this way of living. The world is not going to promote that which is right, that which is true, that which is honest and loving. And that's the most craziest thing, but yet when when your eyes are open and you understand the spiritual element of this all, that again, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but we're wrestling with rulers and principalities and the error and the darkness. It's a whole way of living when your eyes have been opened to this truth. There's a way in which you submit yourself to God and then you resist the enemy and he has to flee. And so when you feel the old nature, because remember that old nature, yet though it's dead. You're dead to it because you're alive in Christ. The Bible says that the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. That battle is not finally over until you take your last breath. But until then, you better remain alert. You better remain steadfast. Every day you open your eyes. You better realize, wait a minute. There are forces that are out to contend against me. There are forces that are within my old self that will love nothing more than to have an opportunity. But we must consider ourselves what? Dead and alive in Christ. Oh, there's a way that you ought to start speaking now. There's a way that you ought to start acting now. And again, not everyone is going to applaud it. Not everyone is going to be in your corner to live for Christ. But that's okay. Okay. You trust Christ. You honor Christ. You live for Christ because ultimately for eternity, you're in Christ. And so there's hope for today for a believer, but yet there's a way to live. Listen to Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on. I mean, this is Paul. He says, I haven't reached perfection. But this one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press on to what's ahead. Listen, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize to which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Job 17 verse 9. The righteous keep moving forward. And those with clean hands become, I love this, stronger and stronger. Are you going to fail? Yes. Are you going to sin? Yes. Are you going to go through periods of time where you're going to question God and doubt God and feel like you're all alone in the valley? Yes. But guess what? Those times are the times that should draw you ever closer to God. So keep moving forward. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn back. No, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on because your feelings are not to define you. Your emotions, your insecurities, and all this other crap. It's not to define you. It's not to control you. That's why I love when I, when the first time years ago, when I was reading through scriptures and the book of Genesis said, sin is crouching at your door. I remember reading that for the first time and my ears perking up. And it says, its desire is to master you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to master you. But you must master it. Oh God, how do I master it? Enough of myself, I can't. Enough of myself, I know what I will do. You see, that's just the reality, you all. That's why there's nothing to hide. That's why the shame and the guilt and the weird things that we do when we fall, when we sin. Listen, we, we, we just got to stop it. Because in and of ourselves, we know what we would do. I'm not going to be shocked by what you're captivated by and what you're entrapped by. You are are not to be shocked by what others or myself or anyone else may come and expose us to, to us. It doesn't matter. Because in and of ourselves, any of us could find ourselves there. That's the sin nature. It is a complete rebellion towards God. It is that nature that holds it fist up against God. And it's in that nature that finds all these faults with God. It's that nature that desires death. And that's what most people are controlled by. But God is so pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so if you're a Christian and you're entering these seasons or you're just going through these trials or temptation is screaming at you, sin is crouching at your door, its desire is to master you, how do you master it? Keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. Keep declaring truth. Not in and of your own strength, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is not I that's living, but it's Christ living in and through me. See, I have to remind myself daily, I'm a surrendered life. I've surrendered my life to Christ, willingly, freely. I've given it up, and I'm trusting in Him. God, you come and have your way. God, you are in charge. I don't want to live a life, Holy Spirit, that grieves you, So be quick, be quick to convict, be quick to discipline, be quick, because I want to live a life that honors you. But again, in and of my old self, I won't honor him. In and of your old self, you won't honor him. So you have choices to make with everything that faces you each and every single day. Are you choosing life? Are you choosing death? Are you choosing the ways of God? Or are you choosing the ways of self, me, myself, and I? This feels better to me. But that's not the way a Christian is ought to be living. That is not what should be defining your life. No, moving forward, keeping your hands clean. I love that. Then you become stronger. And stronger there is a way in which we are to be living and again the world is not going to applaud it and I keep saying to you it doesn't make sense for the world to, 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 to dismiss Christians It wouldn't make sense for for villages or or, or cities or even nations to, 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 to persecute and murder and chase Christians out. Because reality, you would want Christians around you. Even if you don't want to believe in their faith, you would still want them around you. Why? Because they're honorable people. They're hardworking. They contribute to society. So you say, well, then why are they chasing them out? Because just having a Christian around exposes the evil in the hearts of others. Because that's what the scripture said that we read a couple weeks ago about Jesus. Why do they hate Jesus? It's because the evil within them is exposed. And the Bible says that people would rather cling to darkness than to come to light. But the greater news is, is that the darkness can never extinguish the light. So let them persecute them all they want. Let them chase us out of society all they want. They cannot extinguish the light. The light is always present and ultimately, the light is going to return, Christ himself. But that ought not to deter us. When I watched the street ministers being beaten in California yesterday. Oh, if you haven't seen the video, go look it up. They're standing there peacefully. Protesting. Peacefully. Peacefully. Because a spa in California allowed a man to come in who says he's a woman to go into the ladies area of the spa and reveal his privates to young girls, to little girls, to women who were sitting in this area. And when one of the mothers got up and went to the front desk to complain, the people turned on her. She looks like the crazy one. She looks like the crazy one. And she's not even a Christian. She's just a woman, again, who is not a Christian, but who says, wait a minute, you have a man in the area with my little girls, and his penis is out, and he's showing it to everyone. And all the manager could do was say, well, he identifies as a woman. And she's like, I don't care what he identifies with, he has the sexual organs of a man. She's the one that looks crazy. And so you had some Christians, you had some preachers, street preachers out there holding a protest. Peacefully. And they were beaten yesterday by these other protesters. And I go, wow. See, everyone has a right to, to, to declare what they want to declare, but let people of faith stand up and begin to speak or to silently hold signs. And they beat this one preacher with a skateboard, bashed his head in. And I go, wow. You see, the world doesn't want to know truth. And it's getting crazier, you. I keep telling you all. And again, it's not to drive you to the point of anger or, you know, craziness, but I'm hoping it'll drive you to your knees to say, oh God, wait a minute. Your word has exposed all of this. We have been told all of this has to happen. And now it's happening. So what are you doing with it? What are we as a church doing with the truth being exposed to us? For far too long, we've gathered together. We've heard truth. We've we've heard the word. We've heard of the days of the return of Christ. And yet, what are we doing now when we actually see the signs? Right before us. Right before us. And it's not just here and there. No, it's every single day. Our by hour it's getting darker and i've been telling you for at least for at least a few years listen (laughs) the next big thing that's coming to the scene is pedophilia the normalization of grown adults having sex with children and i don't know what you've done when i've said that to you "Oh, that man is crazy but i'm telling you (laughs) You see it, it's been building, it's been building and now we're in a part of a generation where that now is the desire to make norm. That's going to be the norm now. And you have you don't have Christian people announcing this now. You have secular people announcing this. You have actors now voicing their concern. They're not Christians. They're voicing their concerns. Wait a minute. <laughs> What is Hollywood doing? We are normalizing sex with children. Their agenda is to push pedophilia. These are these are actors. Again, they're not Christians, but they are seeing what is taking place and they are being they're exposing it, and now they are being attacked brutally on Twitter. They're being shunned by Hollywood. Because they're giving a voice to the voiceless. Like things are escalating. Things are getting darker and darker and darker. But again, it's not for us to retreat. It's not for us to go out there and start bashing people over the heads either. It's not for us to go out and start acting like fools No, there's a way in which we are called to live and that's why I keep encouraging us and that's why I keep saying I don't think the church has done what it ought to be doing to prepare us for the days in which we are in and which we are heading to. Could you imagine the normalization of grown adults having sex with children? And instead of calling it what it is, they're calling it adult love. This is where we're heading This is what's going on? <laughs> and it's the most craziest thing. You're, whether you're a Christian or not, if you just stand up for morals, if you just stand up for some standards, like this one actress yesterday, she's like, listen, I you can, uh, grown adults can live however they want, and that is absolutely true, but when you start messing with children, like, I'm going to stand up and say something. And I started praying for her. I was like, God, like, she is... She's being I mean she's being slaughtered. I pray that she would come to know the Lord. But again, you have people who aren't even Christians and they are seeing what's going on. Like it's it's crazy out there now. You have all these genders. You have all these you have all these pronouns, you have this, you have that. Everyone, everyone, everywhere, it's gone mad. But how should the church respond? How are you to respond day in and day out? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Love the Lord your God. Because in that, you will be transformed. And in that transformation, you will begin to live in a way that honors God. And as you're honoring God, you would begin to live a way that you would think of others before you think of yourself. And you would begin to, to understand the importance of holding up a standard and not caving down or giving in. You would continue to live in a way that allows your life to mature and to grow. As you look for what's ahead and not just for the temporalness of this life that is right before you. You will understand that you are behind enemy lines. And greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. And you would understand that yet though the world is growing darker, you're to be growing brighter. God, how can I make a difference? How can I impact those that are around me? I may not be able to reach the world, but God, how can I reach my family? How can I reach my office? How can I reach my neighborhood? How can I reach my community? How can I just go out and be different? How can I go out and just honor you and love you and serve you and serve others? Even though I know just living in a right manner is, could ultimately cost me my life because the world's not going to respect it. Because again, you just having a standard of morals, the world will look down on you. You're the one with the problem. I posted last night about the young boy James for the past four years we've been praying for. He's a young boy. A young boy that even psychologists have said, listen, he's not transgender. Like prominent psychologists who have sat down with this young boy has said, wait a minute. He's not classified as one who struggles with being a transgender. And you say, okay, well, what's the issue? His mother, since his birth, because she wanted a boy and a girl, she ended up with two boys. And so she looks at little James and says, oh, he's a girl. And since he was young, she classified him as a girl. She dresses him like a girl, calls him a girl. The parents split up over and she's a doctor. And this young boy is being tormented. I can't even imagine what his life and what his little mind and what his little emotions and heart are going through. And his dad is fighting for freedom for his son. And his dad now is being ushered into court to have his parental rights stripped from him. Why? Because he allowed little James to get a haircut, and his mother is furious.
1: That the little boy wanted.
0: Yeah, that the little boy wanted. Yeah. But you stand on the side of the father, and you're you're the problem. You're the problem with society. The fingers are pointed at you if you find this to be an issue. So that's what I'm telling you all. There's such a a warfare that's going on in this world. And again, it's not again to provoke you to go out and fight with people. No, what I hope it does is you to take a step back and go, God, why have I been resisting you? Because the reality is, is that you're resisting God. If you're not in Christ, if you're not living for Christ, you're resisting Christ. And you're in rebellion towards it. And yet the sad thing is, is that you see everything that's going on. And so the, the question is then today for us, how are we responding for the truth in which we've been given? You can continue to chase after yourself. You have every right to live however you want. That's what I keep encouraging us to know. The Bible gives us that, uh, that understanding. Live however you want. <laughs> He'll turn you over to what you want. He loves you enough to say, okay, if you don't want to receive me, if you don't want what I have for you, then go. Here, have it all. But in the end, that's all you got. And then all you settled for was the temporalness of life. The temporalness of life. And that is not what you were created for. You were created for eternity. And that's why the majority of these scriptures I've read so far tells you to what? Look ahead. Look ahead and the Philippians 4 verse 6 through 7 don't worry about anything what instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience look at this God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart. listen to this and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus says, I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. And I told you that word peace means wholeness. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. You know how you triumph over sin that is crouching at your door, that's desiring to master you? Is to understand that Christ has given you his peace. You see, when you wake up each and every single day, and you go out, you go throughout your day, and things are presented to you. Remember what I said: you're either choosing life or death. The best way to make a decision is to realize you're whole. Like I'm, I'm valued, I'm whole, I'm not broken. So, am I making a decision out of brokenness, or am I making a decision out of wholeness? Because when I can start making decisions out of one that is whole. That's not broken and wounded from my past, but out of one that has been restored, not because I've done anything, but because of all that Christ has done for me, you'll make better decisions. You'll choose life more and more each and every single time than death. You choose to say, no, I don't have to continue to go that way. Yeah, all my friends may be going that way. My whole family may be going that way. Maybe that's what everyone is doing. But you know what? I recognize that it's not right for me because I know what led me there before, and it was brokenness. And I'm not a broken man anymore. I refuse to remain broken just because the majority of the people I hang out with are broken. No, no, no. I'm whole. And I can choose to live different, and I can choose to to be an example for them. Not to put them down, not to think I'm better than them, but that I can be an example for them. That they would begin to see that there's something different about me, and it's not because of anything that I have done, but it's because of the one in whom I serve. And I can show them there's a different way to live as a Christian than just my church attendance. You know, like my life has been actually altered by my confession and my belief That Jesus is the son of God and that he is risen from the dead. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry a heavy burden. And look at this. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And that's what I've always told you. If you see a Christian life as one of a burden, then you don't know Christ. You don't know Christ. There is a joy that comes from the knowledge of Christ, there is hope that comes when you are saved and you have been born again of a new nature. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. You see, there's a way in which you can live in the brokenness and the darkness of this world with your head up. There's a way in which you can live that you can walk upright amongst a crooked and wicked perverse generation. You do not have to get tainted. You can live. And you can have hope. Even if they strip everything away from you, it does not matter. Because, again, your life is no longer consumed by your circumstances. Your relationship with God is not based on your circumstances. Okay, if my circumstances are okay, then I'm okay with God. No, no, no. You're okay with God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So even if your circumstances never change and your life is, quote, unquote, from the look of others, miserable, because you shouldn't see your life miserable, even if your circumstances aren't changing, because there's a hope that you have that is greater than your circumstances. And each and every single day, you can get up and you can live, and that's why I keep reminding you about these women in India who live in the trash dump. Filth. Pounds and, I mean, just mounds and mounds and mounds of just filth they live in. They create their homes in, in India. <laughs> They are the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Society says you have no hope of ever changing. You're of no value. You're of no worth. And yet the missionaries have gone in. And they've told and they've shared of Jesus. And women's lives are being impacted by the hope of Jesus and the Spirit of God draws them to truth. So you don't come to Jesus on your own. It's a prompting of the Spirit of God. God is pleased to to draw you to Himself, to lead you to repentance. These women are repenting for their sins, for their rebellion towards God, for their worships of idols. And all of a sudden, their lives begin to change. Not their circumstances, their lives. As I said earlier, God is more concerned with your heart He's more concerned of transforming your heart than your situation. And now these women are transformed. They are new creations. And you know what they get up? And if you heard me tell their testimony before, and I'll continue to tell it until I die, do you know what they get up every day? They don't get up complaining about their circumstances. They don't look around and see what they see, that everything that you should scream at them, you are of no value. Oh, no, no. You know what they get up every day now? With hope. And they take their little brooms. And they sweep up the little trash area. They they get it organized and they have it set to invite other women in so they can tell them about Jesus. The hope and the value that you can have in Christ. That these circumstances in which we find ourselves in, there's something greater and someone greater. This is how they live. This is how they live. And now, now now, they've expanded just from their little area of the trash dump to going out of the trash dump. And now these other people that are in India see these women come out of the trash dump with their heads up, with some sort of, of, of worth within them. And you know what they're doing with these other people in India? They're impacting other areas in India now with the gospel because these people know where these women came from and what on earth are they coming out for? And they're risking their lives to do it. they will be slaughtered, they would be raped, they would be brutally beaten and chased back into that dump. but yet they will get up each and every single day, trusting in Jesus. trusting in Jesus. I am someone telling y'all, if you're not reading other testimonies, if you're not seeking what it truly means to live a Christian life, you're missing it. If your Christian life is just how you've seen your mother live it, your father live it, your granny live it, this person live it or that person living it, you're missing it. God has so much more for you to truly understand who he is and the difference that you ought to be making each and every single day. So what? You may not be that little Indian woman, but you are individually created for who you are to impact who you are around. So who are you impacting with the, with the truth that you know about Jesus? Because John 8, 36 says, So if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. See, that's what it is. It's all about freedom. And yet, though our nation today celebrates freedom, and that's great. I praise God for our nation. Even though in the, nature, in the culture today, this nation is, it is what it is, and people see it for how it is. But the reality is, it is a great nation, and this nation has done great things. Yes, have we had our issues? Of course, just like with any other nation. The reality is, this is the only nation that has really impacted the world for good. But beyond this, there's a greater freedom, and that's found in Christ and in Christ alone. The true freedom that is found in Christ. This upcoming week on the seventh at two thirty, I celebrate twenty four years of surrendering my life to Christ. And if you would have told me, Rob, this is you would have, you would have been you would, you would be a Christian, you you would be a pastor, you would be of a, a, a pastoral counsel, you'd be ca- doing pastoral counseling. Years ago, I would say you're a crazy nut. And when I think back at that day at 2.30, 24 years ago. And I think about being on my knees, locked in my room, crying out to God, feeling like I was losing my freaking mind. Asking him to speak to me. What are you doing to me? And I throw the Bible down. I said, just tell me. And it just opens to Romans 6. I took it. That was for me. I never read Romans 6 before. It says, what then shall you say? Shall you continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't you know that if you die with me, you've been raised up with me into a new life? And then it goes on to describe how the power of sin is broken. It goes on to declare that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I had no Christians around me, you all. I had no church I was attending. I didn't hate my life. I mean, that's the reality. I didn't hate my life at all. I was okay with being who I was. Even though the culture at that time, it wasn't accepting to be gay (laughs) I was, on, I was on the forefront of the mission to promote it and to live it, and to have it normalized. Since the age of 16, having to cross the picket lines, to cross the KKK lines just to get into the bar, having to be spat upon and yelled at and called crazy stuff, the majority of my life being told how my the majority of my life of how much God hated me and hating Him back, but the reality is it just it wasn't it just wasn't the homosexuality that was an issue with God. It was my very being. It is your very being. It is that nature that we're all born into. Sin. Complete rebellion towards God. God just wasn't looking at Rob Farrell and wanting to say, poof, I don't want him to be homosexual anymore. No, no, no. What he was looking at was like, Rob Farrell, you need to die to self. And be born again. It's the very nature. It's the very essence. It's the very core of who we are. That's why I haven't used the platform to be the ex-gay person. And, you know, people are doing it. And praise God. As God leads them. But that's not what God has led me to do. Because the issue is just not me just being gay. The issue is I was a sinner. And so when churches used to call me and say, would you come and, and do a seminar on how we can reach the gay community? I would turn around and ask them, well, well, first of all, tell me, how do you reach Sinners. How do you reach the adulterers in your congregation? How do you reach the gossipers in your congregation? How do you reach the backbiters in your congregation? How do you reach the thieves in your congregation? Because if you tell me how you're doing that, then I will tell you how to reach those who are bound by homosexuality or any sin. Because it's the nature of sin. It's the essence of who we are, that we are in rebellion towards God. And yet here I was at 2.30 in the afternoon on that day, July 7th, 24 years ago, crying out to God saying, what is it that you want from me? With my lover on the other side of the bedroom door. Who saw this incredible transformation taking place in my life? And I remember he would lay there and he kept telling me, Rob, whatever God you're serving, he's going to take you away from me. And for months or for almost a year I would tell him, Oh, that's crazy. God's okay with me. He created me this way. And he was like, No, like I can fight you if it was another man. I can even fight for you if it was a woman. But I don't know how to fight this God. He's doing something in your life because you're changing. And when I finally got up off my knees, but before I got up from my knees, I begged God, please, God, let me have this. Let me try this. Let me do this. Let me do that. God's like, no, no, no. It's all or nothing. And if you've heard me tell it before, when I got up from that ground, I felt as if things were falling off of me. Chunks of just Junk just falling off for me and for the first time in my life For the first time in my life I was free. I can't explain it. I Was free I knew I was free I didn't know where I was going or what would end up with my life But I knew I found the one that authored my life And so when I opened the door and Rich stood there and he says, you're leaving. And I'm like, yeah. I walked in. now. I didn't know how I was to live. I didn't know what I was to do. I told you before, when I would go to churches and try to share with them what was happening, they told me to leave. For the first few churches I went to, I was told, oh, you're the devil. You'll come in here and you'll pervert the men of the church. You'll end up sleeping with everyone. You know, just crazy stuff. I even went to to an ex-gay ministry that was horrific. I told you I sat there in the darkened room with all these other men and there was no freedom. It was the most weirdest feeling I ever felt. I remember walking out and saying, God, if that's it, oh, then wait a minute, we've got an issue. Like the first few years of my Christian life, were hell. And I told you, I fought with God. I blamed God. I cursed at God. I threw my fist up at God. I told God I didn't ask for you. I wasn't looking for you. I was totally fine where I was. So I went out that night and did crazy stuff and crazy stuff and crazy stuff because I told him, I'll show you. You're not in control of me. And the next day he spoke so gently to my very being Did you find what you were looking for? Oh, God. So I'm not telling you when you come to Christ that everything just becomes this beautiful reality. But what I am telling you is when you cling to him, he holds you. You will grow. You will mature. You will (coughs) repent. You will resolve. You will release. You You will find yourself, when you look back, or even when you talk of the old life it's like talking of a dead person because you're growing again I wasn't striving for perfection I never will strive for perfection because I know I would never obtain that because I'm not perfected you're not perfected until you're with him but the reality is how crazy it. yet though I enjoyed my life yet though I had everything I had ever wanted in my life but yet I was driven to the couch to kill myself. A year and a half before I found myself on my knees at 2:30. A year and a half before that I was came to a place where I was done with life. As the pills were going to my head, hand, to my mouth, the voice of Jesus spoke, today you'll live. As much as I hated him, as much as I denied him, in that moment the pills fell from my hand, my hands went over my head, and the first words out of my mouth was, oh Jesus, you're real. Of all the other voices I channeled, because I was a practicing psychic, Buddhist, you name it, I was into all this crazy darkness, and all these other voices that used to speak and drive me, Oh, this voice that spoke that day silenced all of them. And there was a presence in that room like i have never felt before, and I knew, No one had to tell me who it was. I knew just from the very presence that was in that room, as my hands were going over my head, Oh, Jesus. So this isn't just a good story. This isn't just coming to church and, oh, okay, I'm hearing God's word. Oh, poof, okay, I'm a Christian. Oh, no, 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 It's far greater than that for all of us. And you say, Well, my experience isn't going to be your experience. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But the transformation process is the same. The reality is, we're all sinners. And we're all in rebellion towards Him. And the reality is that Jesus is pleased to step in and say, Here I am. Because in the end, we're all dying. In the end, you'll have to stand before him and give an account. Because in the end, you can't say, Well, I never knew. In the end, you can't say, God, you never showed, you never revealed yourself to me. Oh, no, he's revealed himself to you. You are either choosing to deny him and to go your way, or you're going to choose to surrender to him freely and say, God, have your way. God, have your way. I want you to go to John 14. I'm going to give you some scriptures to help, I pray, encourage you to persevere. John 14, verse 15. <clears throat> This is the part of Scripture where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. These are Jesus' words. He says, if you love me, Jesus' words, if you love me, he's speaking to his disciples. Remember last week when we talked about resolve, making up your mind, deciding firmly on a course of action. We read through Scriptures of the cost of following Jesus and the cost of being a disciple. Like, consider the cost, Jesus tells his disciples. Listen, Jesus isn't impressed by your interest in him. There's a lot of people interested in Jesus. Oh, but he's not impressed at all. He's impressed when one turns to him, believes upon him, and surrenders their life to him. Because it's his kingdom that he's come to announce. It's it's his kingdom So he says, if you love me, look at this, obey my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, continue to do what you want, and I understand. I'll dumb down my message and make it easy and simple and plain for you. Just adopt me into your life. Just add me on to your life, and listen, we'll get along. (laughs) That's not what he's saying here. He's saying obey. Like, if you love me, you will obey. And it's not a forced obedience. Listen, I'm not forced to love Christ. I had to make up my mind. And not only did I make up my mind that day, but I make up my mind every single day. I make up my mind every single day. God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. God, I'm surrendered to you. And the same question I asked then is what I ask now. How am I to live? How do I live now? Because again, I know how I would live. I know what I would do. I know what my nature craves and wants. I know what my brokenness would lead me to. I know what it would do. I was abused. I was abused sexually, mentally. I was tormented. I had a lot of insecurities. I know how I would live if I was in control. I would do everything I can to try to heal those wounds. Just to find it, have some sense of value or worth. Get it before it's taken from me. (laughs) But how am I to live now? Obey, Rob. And I don't hear that word, obey, as a harsh commandment. No, it's actually very free. Yes. Why? Because I love him. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, Advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those, are my, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with the name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still here. But when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. For I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. And I love this. He has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. This is right before Jesus is arrested. He tells them, I have much more to talk to you about, But, because the ruler of this world approaches. He says he doesn't have that much more time. And I love how he points this out. He has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires of me. Jesus knew the cross was set before him. I've always told you all. Even before the earth was formed. And God spoke it. The cross was already purpose. Adam and Eve sinning didn't take God by surprise. No, no, no. Redemption, the cross, the love of God being displayed to all creation was always the beginning part of this beautiful love story. The created will have a right to deny the creator. But love will be displayed when the created recognizes the Creator and surrenders to him. Because no greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus did that for us first. He came, he laid his life down for us. Yet though we were in complete rebellion to him, he knew he came for us. He knew the created would spit upon him, beat him, and ultimately crucify him. <laughs> but he also, he also knew that that third day that he would raise again. And that he would have a people. Oh, you all should know this in your heart and in your head already. From beginning to end, God's purpose. That he would have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. They will live for him. They will honor him in their generation, in their moment of time and of history, that they are purposed. And you see it all through Scripture. That understanding. And what great understanding it is that we can be the people of God in our time, in our day, in our generation. And we can go forth and we can live right lives that are honoring God. That we can have a community, a family that gets together and honors and praises God and encourages and edify each other, that we don't have to put on a mask in a religious facade, like, oh, we've got it all together, praise God, hallelujah, everything's great, we're floating on clouds. Oh, no, 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 we can come in and we're doing life together. Our struggles, our issues, our torments, our sin, we can come forth and we can be real, we can be transparent, because like I've always told you, true freedom comes from true transparency, first with God and then with others. Because your freedom should matter more to you than your bondage. And again, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So Jesus gives us this understanding and this assurance that he is for us. He is with us. And not only that, he's in us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit God himself in us. When we are born again, we're born again of the Spirit. We receive the Spirit. And that's why the Bible says that now we are to walk habitually in the Spirit so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. The Bible says you ought not to be living a life that grieves the Spirit, but that you're honoring Him. And what's the Holy Spirit's role? Is <laughs> to teach us and to reveal to us everything that Jesus taught and to mature us. He's our comforter. He's our guide. Go to Matthew. I'm sorry. Yeah, Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Scriptures, again, I hope that would encourage you to persevere in, in this understanding of what it means to release, to let go of people, places, things, to get moving onward into maturity in Christ. So Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, true disciples, Jesus' words again. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Lord. We prophesied in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And some would say, Oh, what a bad God. We are, and, I, and I keep it telling us, <laughs> there's no error found in God. Listen, if you have if you have a list of errors that you hold up against God, I wish you would write them out and email them to me. Because then I will send you a list that will reveal the truth to you about the lie that you've believed about God. See, before we come to Christ, before we've surrendered to Christ, we believe lies about him. And the enemy loves nothing more than to give us a list of errors that are found in him. But remember, the devil is a thief, he's a liar, he's a murderer. He thought that he could rise up above the throne of God. And now he's been given the right to rule this world for such a bit of time. And before you come to Christ, you are enslaved to him. He's the one running your life. You're actually surrendered to him. But you can be liberated from that control if you would just turn to Jesus and receive him. And here's the truth. There's a lot of religious people claiming the name of Jesus. But when they stand before him, he's going to say, I don't know you. You kept living for yourself. You kept breaking the law of God. You weren't living to honor me. And some would say, how? That's not fair. No, it is fair. He's giving you the right. You have a right to choose. love him or deny him. I know how I pray that you would choose to love him. I don't know how to love him. Just begin with that truth. I don't know how God, but I want to. I believe. I believe. That's how simple it is. Jesus, I believe. I don't know the fullness of it, God. God, I believe that you have been so gracious and kind to show yourself to me. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you rose up on that third day. And the Bible says, if that truly is your belief, and that's what you confess, that you're born again of the Spirit, you've received now God in you. You are born of a new nature. You are now then to take the next step and to be baptized. And all baptism is is an outward symbol of that death that just took place by your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ. You're buried. The old man, the old woman, buried and raised up into a new life. It's a public declaration of your faith in Christ. And then from there you take the steps to be discipled. I can't tell you how much it meant to finally find a church church. But God had to deal with my issues of my heart before he allowed me to step into a church. He allowed me to face all of that craziness in the beginning to mature me. Because that old man, that old nature just needed to be validated. I just needed people to accept what God did in my life. And God had to get me to a place where that was not my driving force. I didn't understand all that until the last church I walked out of, and I hit my knees, and I was like, God, what are you doing? He says, why are you still searching for approval from men? I approve of you. I remember, oh, God, I remember getting up, and here comes Pastor Paul, out the door, running towards me, embracing me, saying, Rob, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said the things i said to you. Like You belong here. And I can't tell you what it was like to finally have a place to get discipled, to be baptized, to get discipled, to grow in the Word of God, to learn how to sharpen the sword and how to use it. Wow. See, we're going to stand before Him. All of us. And your unbelief is not going to stop that. The masses of people who don't believe. It's not going to stop what's coming. And that's what I keep telling you. You physically. Rather you believe or not. You physically can see the condition of the earth. And go something is going on. I mean go out there and have spiritual conversations with people. Even people who aren't Christians. Of other beliefs. Of other. They see like oh something is taking place. In the spirit realm. They will tell you. You, you can't hide under a rock and not see what's happening around you. Deception. The spirit of deception is running amok on the earth. And there's only one holy written word that has informed mankind about it. And it's that which is before you in your hearing today. And it all has to take place because Jesus is coming back, you all. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back to gather those who belong to him. And so there would be those who say, well, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And he says, I don't know you. Look at verse 24 through 27 a quick. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' words, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in, torrents, and the flood waters rise, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse, because it is built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And you know, when I think about what I'm seeing today with a lot of preachers, a lot of people who are in ministry, a lot of Christian singers and actors and all of them that have been in faith for quite some time, and now all of a sudden they're saying, no, I don't think I believe anymore. In fact, they've started a new movement now called the X's. And they want to rewrite the gospel. And I go, what? What? And they have all the reasons of doing it. And what it just shows me is they built their faith. They built what they believed on sand. And now it's crumbled and everything has collapsed around them. And they're trying to hold on to little bits of it. But in reality, they've let go of everything. Of everything, you know, within these twenty-four years, oh, there's been seasons. There's been times in my life where I've just was like, I oh, this is this is just this is just too much. Like, did I really hear from you, or did I lose my mind? Like, there there was some questioning, there was some doubt. There's been this like weird warfare that's taken place. But uh, my faith, my faith is built on a solid rock. And there's been many times I've stood and I've looked longingly backwards. But in order to see all of that which was, I had to look at the cross. And then at some point I would have to say, yeah, no, it means nothing to go back. And why would I do that? Because I know it meant something. I know in and of myself I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got myself where I was. In love myself, I had everything I ever wanted—peace that I thought was peace—but in reality, it was nothing. It was just temporalness of life. And so now, when I see the temporalness of life, I go, "Yeah, it looks fun. It looks, you know, but in reality, uh, like I don't want to base my life on that because I know there's so much more to life." And I want, my, I want it to be on a bedrock, a, a solid foundation. Is my faith always going to be tested until I take my last breath? Same with yours. But what foundation are you standing on? You see, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. I believe that I have been born again and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God and I'll have to give an account to God. <laughs> And so I live in a way that I I hope is pleasing to God. And even in the days that I'm not, that he's quick to convict and that I repent and I get up and I move on. I'm longing for his return. So you have to ask yourself how you're living. Go to James chapter one, verse 19 through 27. James chapter one. Again, scriptures, I hope will encourage you to persevere. And I, and I keep telling y'all, if you want to sit down, you want to talk about it. You want to have you want to have your questions answered. You you want to show me your error, your list of errors, and all the wrongs that are with God. Like I'm open to do that with you all. So James chapter one verse nineteen through twenty seven, and I hope that you will get in the Word. They just won't take my word. Don't listen to man. Listen to God. Open up the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. I mean, listen to what the word of God is saying here. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce righteousness. I'm sorry, does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of, and here again, we see the church being told, it's action. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Look at this, for it has the power to what? Save your souls. See, apart from Christ, you're lost. <laughs> you're lost. You're in rebellion towards Him. You're, you're, you're running on, just moving in your flesh, this nature that just wants death. I can't keep saying that over and over and over. This flesh, this nature that you're born into, all it craves is death. Just look at your life. Just look at the life of your loved ones. Just look at reality. Look at the earth. What is it doing? It's all decaying. It's all dying. And it's dragging us to the very things that are presented to us that's killing us. And yet it's under the control of the evil one. But God so loved us that he sent Jesus in. And Jesus stripped the enemy of his power. And with that power being stripped, and as Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated sin and death. So we no longer have to be a slave to it. We've been freed, you all. He goes on here, but just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. For if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, You're only fooling yourselves. And your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This is the word of God, you all. This is the standard that is set for us. But what are we hearing the majority of our time in our generation? Especially from the religious who are controlling the institution of the church. They're rewriting God's word. And I keep telling you don't learn your theology from the devil. Don't learn your knowledge of God from those who don't even know God, yet, though they think they're representing God. Oh. Know your God. That's why, you you know, for centuries the church has tried to keep the Word of God from normal people, from the hands of people. They wanted the men of God to just stand and teach. So they built a business off of it to control the people. And that's been from Jesus' day all the way through. And it will be until he returns. Don't get lost in the institution. Get found in Christ. Know Christ. Don't let what other religious people have done to you make you see God in error. They were the ones in error, not God. Right here. And that's why I've always told you all of us can have a sad story about a church. And a church experience. (laughs) But that ought not to be defining your life. Christ is to define it. And there's a way in which you are to be living. And that's not only listening to God's word, but doing it. Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Do not love this world, Verse 15 through 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. This is First John, you all. For when you love the world, oh my, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only, look at this, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. This is the world. It's stripped right in front of you. And the Bible and the Word of God is giving you a clear understanding of what the world's intent is for your life. And the Bible is telling us, do not love it. Do not pursue it. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And look at this. And this world is fading away, along with everything the people Crave, but anyone who does what pleases God, who pleases God, will live forever. So I keep telling you all, please you all, and I keep reminding myself, do not get caught up or swayed by the temporalness of this life. Here today, gone tomorrow. Or would you just know your worth in Christ? He has something far better and far greater for you. This world is not your home. This world is not your home. Christ is returning. And we ought to be found in Christ, living for Christ, honoring Christ. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Don't have much more. But we're walking through Scripture in hopes that we all would gain more knowledge of who God is. Know His character, knowing, love Him. Because when you see Him for who He is, I'm telling you all, when you know Him for who He is, you will see Him. And when you see Him for who He is, you can't help but surrender freely to Him. May God have your way. First Samuel chapter 14. Remember the people, the Israelites? (laughs) They were told, they were called out for God's purpose. They have gone through many different challenges and seasons. And they've been told not to look at the other nations, not to be impressed by what the other nations are doing. They were told to remain pure to God, to honor God. God was with them. God was their king. And yet they kept turning from him. And then when they got in trouble, they were crying out. And he would be moved to save them and deliver them. And now we're at a place where they've demanded a king. And do you remember? The issue and the sin in that was that they wanted to be like the other nations. And they were not called to be like the other nations. They were God's people. But this didn't take God by surprise. Because remember... From the beginning, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was purposed. So all of this has taken place, and that's why it's important to know and to read through the Old Testament and find Jesus in it. Everything's pointing to Jesus. Jesus will be the ultimate king of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus will come from the line of David, King David. David. But right now, King Saul has been selected. And in the beginning, Saul was humbled. But now we've seen that Saul is taking things into his own hands. Remember, he was facing a challenge. The Philistines, the great enemy was surrounding him and his troops. He was waiting for the prophet to show up to, to do the sacrifices and worship unto God. But he got troubled because he, him and his army were scared. And so instead of waiting, he decided to take upon the priestly role and to offer the sacrifices. And just as he was finishing the prophet, Samuel shows up and is like, what, are you, what have you done? And then he tries to justify it, and we're no different. Well, everyone was scared. So I figured it would be best to go ahead. no. No, you just dishonored God. And now your kingdom is going to be stripped from you. So this is where we find the people of Israel as we open up chapter 17. Now Saul has a son named Jonathan. 14. Saul has a son named Jonathan. And we've already heard about him before, and now we're going to read a little bit more about him. On one day, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come. On. Let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. And that's important to understand because Jonathan somehow, some way, <laughs> knew that he couldn't really trust in his father's leading. But he trusted in God's. And so we're going to see a, a different heart towards God. Saul was no longer trusting in God. Saul was trusting in himself. Jonathan was not putting his faith in his father. His faith was still in the Lord, the God of Israel. So meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped out on the outskirts of Gilbia, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahaj, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ajah, who was the son of Ichabod's brother, Athu, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Shina. The cliff on the north was in the front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in the front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer. Listen to this. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. So again, that shows you whose trust Jonathan was placing their hope in. He says he can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. How awesome is that? Look at the faith of this young man. It's just him and his armor-bearer going up against the enemy that is provoking all this fear into the army of Israel. And he just declared that he, the Lord, can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor-bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, Stay where you are or we'll kill you. Then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that we, that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw their coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted at Jonathan, come up here. And we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. For the Lord will help us defeat them. I'm telling you what faith we are reading about today. His faith in the Lord. He knew what God has done. And here he is moving forward with just his hope in God. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan his armor bearer, killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half of an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck And everyone was terrified. Oh, that you would know your God, you all. Oh, that you would see yet again the hand of God, the deliverance of God, that he's turned the enemy now against themselves. And two men, Jonathan, the one that trusted in God, has provoked all of this by trusting in God. Saul Saul's lookouts and Gibeah of Benjamin saw a strange sight. Now all of a sudden, these other warriors see what's going on. The vast army of the Philistines began to melt away in every direction. <coughs> Call the roll and find out who's missing, Saul ordered. And when they checked, they found that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. Then Saul shouted to Ajax. Bring the ephod here. For at that time, Ajah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, never mind, let's get going. This Saul and all of his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews, who had previously gone over to the Philistine army, revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel, who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim, joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-haven. Now the men of Israel were pressed to exhaustion that day because Saul, listen to this, had placed them under an oath saying that a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening, before I have full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate anything all day, even though they had all found honeycomb on the ground in the forest. They didn't dare touch the honey because they all feared the oath. They had taken. Now what crazy leadership is that, that he would tell his army not to eat. He didn't call them to fast before the Lord. No, no. It was basically his command. He weakened his army out of his stupidity. But verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard his father's command. And he dipped the end of his stick into a piece of honeycomb and ate the honey. After he had eaten it, he felt refreshed. But one of the men saw him and said, "'Your father made the army take a strict oath "'that anyone who eats food today will be cursed. "'This is why everyone is so weary and faint. "'My father has made trouble for us all,' Jonathan exclaimed. "'A command like that only hurts us. "'See how refreshed I am now "'that I have eaten this little bit of honey?' If the men had been allowed to eat freely from the food they had found among our enemies, think of how many more Philistines we could have killed. They chased and killed the Philistines all day from Mikmash to Eiljong, growing more and more faint. That evening they rushed for batter, plundered, and butchered the sheep, goats, cattle, and calves, but they ate them without draining the blood. Someone reported to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that still has blood in it. "'That is very wrong,' Saul said. "'Find a large stone and roll it over here. Then, he, "'Then go out among the troops and tell them, "'Bring the cattle, sheep, and goats here to me. "'Kill them here and drain the blood before you eat them. "'Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with the blood still in it.' "'So that night all the troops brought their animals and slaughtered them there. "'Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. "'It was the first of the altars he built to the Lord.' Then Saul said, let's chase the Philistines all night and plunder them until sunrise. Let's destroy every last one of them. His men replied, we'll do whatever you think is best. But the priests said, let's ask God first. Saul said, ask God. so so, So ask God, should we go after the Philistines? Will you help us defeat them? But God made no reply that day. Then Saul said to the leader, something's wrong. I want all my army commanders to come here. We must find out what sin was committed today. I vow by the name of the Lord who rescued Israel that that sinner will surely die. Even if it's my own son, Jonathan. But no one would tell him what the trouble was. Then Saul said, Jonathan and I will stand over here and all of you stand over there. And the people responded to Saul, whatever you think is best. Then Saul prayed, "O oh Lord... God of Israel, show us who is guilty and who is innocent. Then they cast sacred lots, and Jonathan and Saul were chosen as the guilty ones, and the people were declared innocent. Then Saul said, Now cast cast lots again and choose between me and Jonathan. And Jonathan was shown to be the guilty one. Tell me what you have done, Saul demanded of Jonathan. I tasted a little honey, Jonathan admitted. It was only a little bit by the end of my my stick. Does that deserve death? Yes, Jonathan, Saul said. You must die. May God strike me and even kill me if you do not die for this. But the people broke in and said to Saul, Jonathan has won this great victory for Israel. Should he die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched. For God helped him do a great deed today. So the people rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. Then Saul called back the army from chasing the Philistines and the Philistines returned home. And so we see, yet again, a leader making all these decisions based on themselves. He has really no wisdom any longer of God, but his son did, and because of his faith in God, he was able to push back the enemy. We see here at the end of 14, they begin to list Saul's military successes. He, he was a great warrior at times. There were a lot of defeats that as he led the Israelites, but we're going to move on now to John chapter 7. And as we're le- learning of Saul, we're going to get over the next two chapters. King David, because you remember last chapter, um, the prophet tells King Saul, "Listen, your kingdom's going to be stripped for you, and God is already bringing up the one who is after His own heart." And so King David's about to show up on the scene, and that's where we really want to start perking up and watch how all these the transitions begin to take place to the to the throne of King David that ultimately would lead to the throne. Of Christ. So John chapter 7 verse 30 through 53. There it is. Alright. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, being Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me, but will not find me and you cannot go where i'm going the jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement where is he planning to go they asked is he thinking of leaving the country and and going to the jews and other lands maybe he will even teach the greeks what does he mean when he says you will search me you will search for me but will not find me and you cannot go where i'm going on that day The climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one had laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned, without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, "'Why didn't you bring him in?' "'We have never heard anyone speak like this,' the guards responded. "'Have you been led astray too?' the Pharisees mocked. "'Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him?' This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. This is a mass." confusion that's going on about jesus as it was then so it is today get out there and talk with people you will hear the most craziest things about jesus and that's why it is vital that you are rooted in christ and that you know who he is jesus himself turns to his disciples at one point and he says who do people say that i am well some say you're elijah some say you're this and some say you're that but then he looks and he says but who do you say that I am and that is the key who do you say Jesus is because that is going to determine how your life will be lived for him go to Psalm 109 Psalm 109 a Psalm of King David O God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof while the wicked slander me and tell lies about me. They surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I'm praying for them. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. They say, get an evil person to turn against him. Send an accuser to bring him to trial. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned let no one be kind to him let no one oh my goodness let no one pity his fatherless children may all his offspring die may his family's name be blotted out in the next generation may the lord never forget the sins of his fathers may his mother's sins never be erased from the record may the lord always remember these sins and may and may his name disappear from human Memory. Listen, this is King David, you all. This is what people are saying about him. They hate King David. And for no reason at all. Just deception has ran through the land. And now they want him removed. And not only, as you're reading, they just not want him removed. They want him blotted out. They want him to be in total disgrace. And not only him, his family. May the Lord always remember these sins and may his name disappear from our human memory. For he refused all kindness to others and he persecuted the poor and needy and he hounded the brokenhearted to death, which he had never did. It was never been accounted that that's how David was. He loved to curse others, now you curse him. He never blessed others, now don't bless him. Cursing is is, is as natural to him as his clothing or the water he drinks, or, rich, or the rich food he eats. Now may his curses return and cling to him like clothing. May they be tied around him like a belt. May those curses become the Lord's punishment for my accusers who speak evil of me. But deal with me, O sovereign Lord. Listen now to David's heart. But deal with me, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your own reputation. Rescue me, because you are so faithful and good. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is full of pain. I am fading like a shadow at dusk. I am brushed off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my skin and, and, and I am skin and bones. I am a joke to people everywhere. When they see me they shake their heads in scorn. Help me, O Lord my God, save me because of your unfailing love. Let them see That this is your doing, that you yourselves have done it, Lord. Then let them curse me if they like, but you will bless me. When they attack me, they will be disgraced, but I, your servant, will go right on rejoicing. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace. May May their humiliation cover them like a cloak. But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone. For he stands beside, beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. David knew his God, you all. David knew ultimately his hope was in the God of Israel. Go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs fifteen, five through 7. Here's some nuggets of wisdom I want to throw at you. Proverbs 15, 5-7. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. There is a treasure in the house of the godly, but the enemies of the wicked bring trouble. The lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. Oh, there's a way in which we are called to live. I'm going to end with a devotion that I read this morning that I wanted to share. And it's called, Do You Truly Wish to Change? And it's based off 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this writer writes, It seems as though everyone is hoping to do something one day. We all have the right to dream, but the tragedy is that so many dreams never become reality. And the same is true of our spiritual life as well. The church is filled with people who will live a more devoted life one day, who will pray more fervently, who will diligently study the Word of God, who will strive to be a better Christian one day, and sadly one day never arrives. One of the challenges that you will face, one of the challenges you would have to face, is whether you truly want to change. There is a world of difference between a desire to change one day and, the, and, the, and to really change. The Lord never changes a person against His will. Before change can take place, there must be cooperation with the living Christ. He asks you to submit to His will before he can replace your old, rigid life with your new life. The moment that moment you sincerely desire to change, the transformation begins. And what you once thought impossible becomes a glorious reality in the strength of Christ. I praise and I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the new life you've given me through Jesus Christ, my Savior. Oh, do we truly have a desire to change? I'm going to let this song play over us, and then I'll close us in prayer.